1: We're back. End of another week, heading into another game day. Notre Dame and Duke. It's IB countdown to kickoff. I'm Sean Steyers with Vince Dario and Jesse Steyers, guys. Let's see if we can tick off another fan base this week. What do you say?
2: Oh, is that the is that the goal? Because <laughs> that's I, Vince's job. Pretty well, good. I mean, we that. don't
1: even make it a goal, but we've managed to do it just about every you know at least the last few weeks anyway. That
2: is true. NC State uh, yeah. and Ohio State. Are obviously yeah. top the list. I don't. Know, I don't think we we uh, ticked off any Tennessee State fans. At least True. not to my knowledge. True. You know,
1: we actually had a Tennessee State viewer or two. I oh. remember the week of the Tennessee yeah, State that's, game. Okay.
2: And yeah, you're right.
1: I think they pretty much accepted their fate. You know, they accepted the big old paycheck. These other, at least. At least we don't have to talk about any perceived home-field advantage when you've got a stadium that seats 40,000 like
2: Duke yeah. does this week. It's not going to be part of the conversation. So Tell that to Clemson, Sean Styers. <laughs> <laughs> True.
3: <laughs>
1: well, the question for Notre Dame, of course, this week, after we've been through and beat it all up, is can yeah. they recoup after the not only a heartbreaking loss to Ohio State, but a loss that was so self-inflicted with mistakes and strategy at the end of the game. What do you guys think?
3: <laughs> I love when Vince gives me the little point and he's like, you I know. know what? Yeah, you why go do, ahead. You take why don't this you one. go so much? No, Notre Dame can definitely recruit, recoup from the Ohio State loss because I think what you have to do – Um, as a team is you have to focus on everything, but the last four minutes of the game and, and, and everything that you did well, because if you throw away those last four minutes, it was a tremendous football game. Um, and while Notre Dame didn't accomplish as much as they wanted to on offense, AKA not finishing drives, I still think that they did a tremendous job on defense and shutting down one of the best wide receiver cores um, in the country. And so you have to take all the positive things that you did, um, and, and then really just, you know, focus on how do we finish and how do we get better, um, and I think that having that kind of vengeance in your mouth, there—that you know, that 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 wanting to take it to a, an opponent—is something that they should have. You should have a fire for you know the letdown that was last week, um, and, and allow it to kind of fuel you going, you know, going forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I I think that this program is in a pretty good spot, and you know, we're going to talk more about it as we you know preview this game specifically, but uh, I expect. I expect big things this week, to be honest with you. Same. And, you know, we're gonna we're gonna see where this program is. We're gonna see where Marcus Freeman is. We're gonna see if he's learned from his mistakes, you know, in the past coming off of big games. We're you know, we're gonna learn a lot about this team and this program when this ball gets kicked off Saturday night. I mean, I, I just I really do believe that. And I also believe that what we will learn is that they're in a great place. That that's what I believe is about to happen.
3: Yeah, and I think sorry not to right before you go. I think this this week is a, is a ultimate test of toughness for Notre Dame. How do they yeah. respond, and how tough are they? Right, because it's it's one thing that to lose a close game, but it's a it's another thing to kind of sit in your sorrow and and, and etc. It's how they respond, and I think that's the biggest thing that comes back from this team is how tough are they yeah. uh, in this game against Duke.
1: I think it's amazing that when you look at last week's game, they only punted twice. They just Couldn't finish some drives. They were in, you know, you miss a field goal. You got to hit that field goal, obviously. But they were in field goal range another time. They couldn't convert a fourth and one. And then, of course, they had another fourth and one where they were getting close to field goal range. No turnovers last week. And, again, very few penalties after we had seen penalties start to pop, you know, kind of rear their head a couple of weeks before that. So there were really just so many good things you could look at. Unfortunately, they didn't finish. And when you look at, so I guess to answer the question, you guys answer the question. And I agree with you that you, I, I think they will be able to bounce back. And this is a test of toughness, really a test of mental toughness, I think. And yes, I think that that they have managed to respond. A lot of people want to draw the comparison to, well, you didn't respond after Ohio State last year. You lost to Marshall last year. I just I feel like it's a completely different set of circumstances because there was there was so much on the beginning of the season and it happened to be Marcus Freeman's alma mater and really kicking off his era and your yeah. you know all these different things. I just feel like program's in a different place a little bit more than a year down the road yeah. since then.
3: I feel like last year's Ohio state game was Ohio state hangover this, this week it's Ohio or sorry, this year it's Ohio state vengeance uh, a little yeah. bit more. So yeah. I think so. Yep. There was uh,
1: plenty of blame of course, to go around after the game last week, both sides of the ball in that last four minutes. I found it interesting because both coordinators, Jared Parker and Al golden spoke with the media earlier this week. And in response to questions, about how they called things at the end of the game, their basic re- re- response was, the gist was, well, we just needed to execute better. It wasn't, I needed to call it differently, <laughs> needed to execute better. Vince, I'll start with you on this one, Milky White. What do you think about that?
2: So they, is it they concerning were... to you? They were in favor of execution. Is that, is that where you we're gonna are going to steal Brian that? Kelly's joke? I mean, look, I guess where I fall on this whole thing is if and the reason I brought that up was because if Brian Kelly said those things, I would be hammering him. And so I have to hammer these guys because that's, that's a
1: great way to look at it. Like how, what, what would we say? Like in any yeah. response, what would we say if BK
2: said that, right? I would hammer him about that that response, I would now. I would agree with Jared Parker, except for the call of uh, with the delayed run. That you know what I mean? Like they do have to execute better, except for that play right there, because that's a call. That's not an execution situation, uh-huh. right? So I would, I would have issue with that. But for Al Golden, it's even worse because I felt like it wasn't an execute. Yes, DJ Brown dropped the interception. Yes. There were a couple misses here and there. It's not an execution situation. It was a strategy and a play call situation. Yeah. So maybe if he said, I need to execute the play calls better, then I would be more on in favor of what he has to say. But he can't lay it all out on the players in this case. He just can't. He can't. So I would hammer Brian Kelly. So I got to hammer these guys. No, it's not just an execution problem. It's more than that. It's bigger. <laughs>
3: I'm going to take BK out of this equation. I'm just going to hammer both of these guys because they deserve (laughs) to be hammered. Um, It's not an execution thing. It's, it's, you need to put your team in the best scenario play call wise in order for them to execute. And that's not what happened on that last drive for Notre Dame after they got those two first downs, they, those play calls did just not match the situation that was at hand in my opinion. And so, It's one thing. Yeah, the players did not execute the play to, uh, you know, to the best of their ability. Sure. But those plays shouldn't have even been run in the first place. And so that's where I drop the blame in this situation, because you're not putting your team in the best situation to succeed in that moment by calling those play calls. And that's simply what it comes down to execution or not. It's not at that point in the game. It's not on your players. It's on what are you calling to get this game over with or to seal this game up? And then I'd go so even further to say with Al Golden on defense is Al Golden there's two things Al Golden didn't didn't know when he wanted to blitz and when he wanted to play it more safe and that caught up to him and then the other thing to me is in terms of execution you got to have a wall at the 5 yard line those heels those players their their heels do not need to be on the heel of the end zone because by right. that point it's too late. You need to because be. Because you can get a first down, by it, which we exactly. saw exactly, <laughs> and so that to me is just again not putting your players in the, in the best position because they executed what Golden asked them to do. It's just Ohio State executed better and found the yep. place to go on and win the game. And so I don't think it's execution on both sides of the ball. I think it's both coordinators didn't call things to put their players in the best situation.
1: And the two offensive plays that you talked about the the two back. With, with the slow developing that Tui Imolau ended up blowing up. And then of course the screen pass, both of those plays in succession run to the same side into the boundary. So you've got less space to work with over there. And you've got Ohio state's best defensive player who granted hadn't had a great game to that point, but he's still their best defensive player and on back-to-back plays with the game on the line he stepped up and made the play. You would you would think that, you know, if you were going to call something, at the very least, there would have been a check that's like, okay, if 44 is there, we want to go the, the opposite side of 44 in this instance, right? But like that wasn't in place either. So I just I, I think it goes. Much beyond execution, it was the way things were called. And, you know, it, and it was it was even worse, I thought, without Golden, that he just kept going back to, well, you know, he did say, you know, we've got to coach it better or whatever. It's not like you're going to coach it in the middle of the game. You just – there needed to be a better – there needed to be better calls in those situations because they did so well defensively 95% of the time. It was sure. just a handful of crucial plays that did them in. And, I mean, offensively <clears> – <throat> Obviously, they didn't score a lot, but you do have to give some credit to the Ohio State defense as well. Again, Notre Dame moved the ball. They just didn't finish drives when they needed to as well, not just that final drive. But let me ask you this. Besides preventing Ohio State, like throw out the final touchdown, obviously. If you could change that, everyone would change that.
3: If you could change one thing that happened during the game, what would it be? I would change the fact that that Sam Hartman first down got uh, overturned. I know it was early in the game, uh, but I think that's a crucial, crucial series for Notre Dame. And I think it sets the tone early. I'm not guaranteeing that they're getting points, but they're, they're, there's a, a better chance of them getting points early. And I think chance, it kind of yeah. I think it changes a little bit of the trajectory in some way throughout the rest of the game. I think it, not only does it. I think even if they don't give points, I think it gives them a bit more of a confidence, right? Like they're early on in the game as a unit because they pick up a big first down. And then we just kept seeing struggle after struggle on those short down situations throughout the game. I just feel like if you get that first one over with an accomplished, you have more confidence about what you can do going forward. So that's the play that I think I would I would take back and change is that that phantom review that all of a sudden they had enough evidence to, to overturn it no reason it should have been overturned there was not enough evidence to overturn
2: that's actually a really good call jess and and probably not one that most people would pick because it's so early in the game but i agree with you that puts the ball at the 17 yard line with a fresh set yeah. of downs like they're they're going to score there like i say what you want to about spencer Schrader. uh let's say let's say that they, the next three plays they don't get a first down and you're on the 15 yard line that's, that's a 30 yard field goal like you talking about yeah 34 yard <laughs> I mean, field goal Yep. Yeah, I mean that's a chip shot. Like ninety. It sets of up his confidence too for the rest of the exactly. game. Exactly. Hundred percent agree. And so, yeah, that's a really, really good one, and probably trumps anything that I would come up with. But <laughs> off the top, well, well, off the top of my and head, look, look,
1: let's be honest though. If the if if Schrader either hits that first field goal or they convert that first down, like you're talking about, and all they needed is a field goal, it's It's a diff, they win the game. If they get points at any other point during the game, they win the game That's what it comes down to.
2: No, you're absolutely right. And I mean, I'll take the obvious one just because I can, and I'll take the (laughs) DJ Brown not caught interception because that ends the game. Obviously Um, you know, that would be my next one because if that's, that's the easiest thing because it doesn't involve anybody else. It just involves one guy. Yeah. Right. I, I I would love to say the screen pass. Like, I would love to say that one because I hate to say it, but it all boils down to that one play. If it hits, Jared Parker's a freaking genius. And he's a genius. Yep. That's, that's the outcome. Like, oh man, Jared Parker's such a great offensive coordinator. What stones he had to call that play. You know, <laughs> yeah. the whole thing, right? And it doesn't hit, it gets knocked down and they should never even have hired him. You know what I mean? Like, one play has completely colored who jared parker is as an offensive coordinator and then 10
1: men on the field never happens exactly the whole whole
2: thing and the defense only gives up 10 points and and al golden is a genius you know what i mean like the the narrative is so they're all dining like
1: kings this week
2: (laughs) oh man the narrative is so different for both sides of the ball and for this program
1: the fourth and one is where I was leaning. Re- you know, really, both Look of the fourth boys. and ones, but Look but I you.
2: but I think especially like, but
1: here's here's what I don't get. You know, because they ended up Hartman had to scramble where, where they're trying to convert fourth and one on the one that gets overturned, and then he tried. You know, they obviously try to sneak him around the end. Like the Eagles have the whole tush push, is what they. I don't like the name, but they call it, You know, the thing with. <laughs> With Jalen Hurts, where they line everybody up. and I call just it a push rugby Yeah, I mean, but it very rarely fails. Notre Dame has Mitchapalooza. I mean, you can't tell me that if you put Mitch Evans behind center and then you get like Audrick Estime and Davis Sherwood or even like a defensive lineman or somebody behind him to push him forward, you can't tell me they're not going to convert fourth and one 95% of the time. You would like, think. Why don't they have a better – option than the two plays that we saw on fourth and one i
2: think that that's the biggest thing well and i don't think it was called for hartman to go around the edge i think no and that but that's
1: what i'm saying they were also it was supposed to be a pass play right like
2: that oh no 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 no, no. i meant the sneak oh the sneak where where he tried to kind of i thought he tried to go up the middle and then it wasn't there and so he tried to go around the edge you know what i mean um No, obviously the other one was a scramble. On that one, again, hindsight's 20-20, but I would have loved for him to stick his right foot in the ground and not go out of bounds, but stick your right foot in the ground and just kind of go forward. I think he gets it no problem. Then, uh, even if he goes into the chest of the defender, with the momentum and everything, I still feel like he picks up that first down, as opposed to doing the whole, Run out of bounds, try to stick the ball out. Thing, even though he didn't even do that.
3: Well, um,
1: I agree, but again, you know, like if you look at the replay, there's nothing. Oh, on the I, oh, that 100% shows should have
2: overturned that first down. Absolutely agree with you. I just, I, I would just even the chance of a review. You want to take it off the table. You know what I mean? And I feel like if he stays in bounds and just kind of lowers his shoulder, now people are gonna be like, "Well, you don't want Sam Harmon to get hurt," which I get. But if he stays inbound, lowers his shoulder, he gets that first down. That's honestly, and I've never thought these words would come out of my mouth, that's where I miss Ian Book. <laughs> he would have done that. He would have tried to run the guy over. Then he would have gotten the first down. True. It's
1: true. I mean, Tyler Buckner might have as well, but then Buckner he might have up, hurt. ended up separating his shoulder. He might have gotten results.
2: hurt. That's right. Ian Book man. wouldn't have gotten hurt, man. He was an Iron Man. Like He played... A lot of football, you know what I mean? But he lowers yeah. his shoulder in that in that particular regard. At that point, I take him out and put Sam Hartman back in. But that's one
3: play I would like to have him in. See, this is where I think Notre Dame, not misses, but like, you know, Buckner Buckner, I think, squandered an opportunity. I think there would have been packages for him in, in instances like this.
2: That's a, a solid so. call, Jesse. Yeah. yeah.
1: Who's the average player we'd be talking about right now if they
2: if they had pulled it off? Well, I'll just say, because I said D.J. Brown was going to catch the interception, I'll go with D.J. Brown. He's the savior. He's the savior of the game. Yeah. You know? He's, That's the, he's sure. the one that got the defense to make that final stop that they never have I, done.
1: I think Javante John-Baptiste, he had a great game playing against sure. his old team. I think he's the nominee. Mine. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> no, defensively. You guys always still
1: mind, so I wanted to sneak <laughs> something in first.
3: Smart. Uh, offensively, you know, uh, offensively, I, I would say – I would say the offensive line because no, it, would, it wouldn't have been Audric didn't have big enough a game for you. I thought Jeremiah Love was more potent if, than Audric Estime was in that. If game they,
1: they would have, well. if they would have played the last series right, we'd be talking about him.
3: That's what I'm I saying. So, so.
2: Notre Dame has to win the game. And you're feeding Audric Estime that entire drive until he the clock didn't said zero. He
3: didn't do enough for me. I think the offensive line was. You've got to hand the ball to him. We said this
1: this week. Yeah, but they got to hand the ball to him at least one more time I'm after that I'm not disagreeing with run.
3: that. I'm saying that they, no, as, I, a, not, as a I'm unit, not... ran for over 200 yards at that point. And I would say, when, with a multitude of running backs, no one stood out. I would give that. I would give more praise to the offensive line because no no one running back stood out to me and jeremiah love was the reason why they had success in the second half running the ball and so like that's where i'm at no one stood out to me offensively and i think i was gonna
1: say mitchell evans because like
3: yeah with all the catches and he was a leading receiver he had four catches for 115 yards in
1: that game and of course the acrobatic yeah the the
3: nice catches that's a good point um but I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I was underwhelmed by Sam Hartman. I thought he didn't play uh, as good of a game as he needed to, as well. I didn't. I was not happy with his performance coming out of that game. I thought him being more experienced and being around the block more, he should have offered more to the table in terms of production wise. But that's again, that's just me. Now,
1: Evans actually had seven for seventy-five. I don't know why I had four for one hundred and fifteen on the mind, but seven for one hundred and seventy-five or seven for seventy-five is still. Pretty good day that he had out there, especially considering he missed the previous. And the offensive
3: line gave up no sacks, so that also plays into it. You know,
1: we talked about the question Hartman got after the game this week, and I don't think in any way, shape, or form the loss is on him.
3: No, but he also didn't have his. He didn't do enough to separate himself and and give them like that. He just played average, and in, in that game compared to who he was going to get as the other quarterback McCord, he's got to be head and shoulders better. Not even he just needs to be better. And I felt like they were equal quarterbacks in that game. And that's the part where I felt like Sam Hartman underperformed because of it being McCord's fourth game and Sam Hartman's like 70th game 700th game is that the experience (laughs) didn't really show a factor enough, in my opinion. I mean,
1: I thought when McCord was, you know, Doing a Drew Pine impersonation on the first two plays of their final drive, I thought, man, this thing is going to be over quick. Notre Dame's going to get the ball right back, and this game is going to be over. But to McCord's credit, play,
2: McCord made he plays play. when it counted. Like, yeah, right. I, I wouldn't say that he was head and shoulders. He was not above great Sam throughout, Hartman. but I mean, obviously, it,
1: they don't 21 win. Twenty-one of game. thirty-seven.
2: Yeah. Like he's yeah. a fifty-seven percent passer, right? Like, and no touchdowns in that game, so. I mean, he, but he made plays on that final drive, with some help from Notre Dame's defense. But he made plays when it mattered, right? So right. I mean, I get, I give him credit. I'm not going to say he played better than Sam Hartman. No. because Sam Hartman did engineer that 75 or 96 yard touchdown drive to put him up as well. But those, I just didn't feel like the gap
3: was big enough. I thought Sam Hartman. That's fair. to Do more for me. That's fair. But the way they were playing
2: it, they were kind of taking Sam Hartman out of the game which is why they were so successful running the ball.
1: So I asked both of you guys this at different on different shows this week. Oh, you rascal. And so I'm going to bring it up with all three of us here. If Marcus Freeman, you know, a lot of people obviously down on Marcus Freeman and things went from, hey, we love Marcus Freeman to people. There were a lot of people who turned on Marcus Freeman. (laughs) It's crazy. Pretty quickly. If his learning curve as a still relatively inexperienced young head coach goes from losing to Marshall and Stanford last year to a three-point loss due to some shaky decisions to a fourth-ranked Ohio State team in year two, can you live with that? In other words, 9-3 and last year, two really bad losses to... You know, again, those two teams to maybe eleven and 1, 10 and two this year. If that's what it ends up with the losses to Ohio State, maybe USC or Clemson. Can you live with that kind of growth
3: curve for Marcus Freeman, <laughs> Vince? I hated this question earlier in the week, and I hate it even more now because I feel like there's not a right answer, and I lean towards both sides. To be honest with you, I feel like I'm this side. And I feel like I'm, that's what I'm. I'm on. I am on the fence for this question, but I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that the way they lost
1: to Ohio state is acceptable. I'm just saying if you're going
2: big, picture you're going more big picture,
1: big picture. You had two brutal losses last year to teams. You shouldn't have lost to, to you're battling in there with the good teams. And unfortunately, you know, maybe some inexperience, Cost him a lot. See, the way.
3: what makes this hard to me is at the end of the day, you gotta win. Like I don't I don't take any moral victories on if it's a loss, if it's an embarrassing loss to Stanford or if it's a, a blunder, a coaching blunder in the last four minutes and a loss to Ohio State. It's almost like the opponent doesn't really matter to me. And I know that's like it's obviously you'd rather lose to Ohio State in a three point game than lose to Marshall at home. Like those are two completely different losses. And yes, Marcus Freeman has shown a ton of growth from that Marshall loss to this Ohio State loss but he still hasn't finished it that's the issue for me and Marcus Freeman is that he 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 doesn't know how to finish games still quite yet and so like that's still the common denominator who no matter who the opponent is is you're not finishing games against Marshall you're not finishing games against Ohio State and so like that's why the obvious answer is like yeah he's grown and he's gotten better but at the end of the day it comes down to wins and losses no matter who it is and so I I don't know. I, I still lean towards. I, I haven't quite seen enough yet because he's beaten the teams that he's supposed to beat, and there haven't been relatively good teams. And so, once we gear up to more of these, you know, the stretch that we're on, I think that'll give me more so of an answer about Marcus Freeman. But right now, I'm 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 leaning towards no. Like I I, I still haven't seen enough out of Marcus Freeman. Well, hold on a second. Hold 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 on a second. <laughs> He didn't. The, the The point of the question
2: is, he didn't beat the teams he was supposed to beat last year, and now he is. Right, right, right.
1: Jesse, that's exactly right? the point of the question. So now right. you're at least beating the teams that you're supposed to beat, which you didn't Correct. do last year, which his predecessor did, which is why they were able to rack up right all those wins over that five year period. But now, now you're in... losing. You're losing a close right. game. To a really good team,
2: and his predecessor made a living a 12 year living at Notre Dame losing to top 10 teams, and there was and a mopping big, up the rest of them. And, and there was a big chunk of the fan base that was cool with that. So, are we comparing Marcus Freeman as a second year head coach? Are we comparing him against Brian Kelly? Or what are we comparing him to? You know, I what think it's
3: mean? Him, him versus him.
2: Okay. Um, So, you tremendous growth from year one to year two. But I also think that I'm giving Jesse a hard time here. But (laughs) I also think this question, I think you need to put it in a sack until the end of the season and we see. And make sure that 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 actually plays. Exactly. Because if if he takes this team and they end up the rest of the way undefeated and they go 11 and one, I think we can all say, yeah, okay, we'll take it
3: 100%. Well,
1: but then, but then there's, but then the conversation changes because now, did you just make the college football playoff? Did you just miss out on the college football right? That's what playoff? I'm saying. When the season and if is over, miss out like if you end up team five or six in a fourteen playoff at the end of the season, sure. and the one loss ends up being this, then I think people are going to be I ticked off all over again. No, well, he still has
2: that. a shot at winning a New Year's Six Bowl, which they haven't done in thirty years. True. So True. there's still things on the table to accomplish that have yet to be accomplished as a head coach at Notre Dame so there's still stuff on the table you know what I mean now yeah I still think an 11-1 and one team obviously barring whatever happens they got a good shot that they're 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 within screaming distance of making it into the playoff and then of course we have the conversation of can you be competitive in a playoff game can you win mm-hmm. that playoff game you know that whole thing but I think this question specifically yes I can live with it for now, am I disappointed? Yes, but can I live with it? Yes, I can live with it because I think there's so much football left on the table for him to prove himself.
1: See, me too, because you look at most head coaches, like look at Mike Elko and where he went. He, he got the Duke job and there's not a whole lot of scrutiny on Mike Elko at Duke. Like he had just a little bit worse than the same record, that Marcus Freeman had last year. Everyone was excited about that at Duke. Right. You look at a guy like Nick right. Saban, started at Toledo. Nobody cared about what he did at Toledo. He got to make his mistakes at Toledo and to some extent at Michigan State before he moved on to LSU and and Alabama. Brian Kelly, like we've talked about, Grand Valley State, Central Michigan, Cincinnati before he got here. So the spotlight is a lot brighter on Marcus Freeman and every little mistake that he makes and I think that you do still have to accept the fact that there are going to be some bumps early on because you've been a head coach before, Vince. I've been a head coach. Jesse has mm-hmm. obviously played a lot of sports. The bottom line with coaching is, like, when you're an assistant coach, you're there, but you don't actually have to make the decisions. Maybe sometimes you even second-guess your head coach, oh, but you don't have to be all the one... The time. You don't have to be the one who's actually wearing the hat and making the decisions in those 35 second intervals, you know, and it's a lot different when you're the one who's responsibility, you know, whose responsibility it is for all those decisions. And again, when the spotlight is greater and everything else. So I think we've got to accept that there are going to be some growing pains along the way, because you don't get to make those decisions until you're the guy making those decisions. Essentially, every yeah, everything that he encounters that that those other guys like Saban and Kelly and whoever, you know, Jim Tressel, his mentor when he was at Youngtown State, you know, like they got to make them in places where it wasn't nearly
2: as big a deal when you make those mistakes the first time. Hey, and they still make
1: mistakes later on.
2: But I, I was a career assistant coach for a long time, decade and a half. <laughs> And I was the king, the king of second guessing my head coach. All right, (laughs) so yeah, man, you absolutely especially a
1: particular one.
2: (laughs) Well, we've talked about that before, by the way. Uh Uh, Somebody was watching the show, by the way, the other night, and talked to me today uh, about that particular game and that uh, the Adams game against Penn and how they were all scared crapless and blah 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 blah. So I thought that was fun. You're talking about Adam's, Adams pen when they almost beat them and all that stuff. Oh, and you right, the right. nasty weather, etc. cetera. But uh, yeah. no, look, you're absolutely right. There's, there's no substitute for being the head coach who, you know, with the buck stops here and all that, whatever cliche that you want to use, the assistant coach always knows best, right? That's why the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy on campus. Right. That's why, you know, whatever, whatever you want to talk about, it's way different, man. When you're in the catbird seat, it, it is way different when you're pulling the strings and making all the calls, and uh, you second guess yourself a lot. And but what I do like about Marcus Freeman, and he's been doing this since he was a coordinator, is that he is very retrospective. Like he actually does self scout himself uh, in every aspect of how he does his job, and I think I don't see that stopping anytime soon. And that's why I am still in his corner and will be for the foreseeable future. Yep.
1: So now it's on to Duke and the 29-game ACC regular season the winning streak
2: Dukeies.
1: is back on the line. We're going to see ACC teams in back-to-back weeks. The stretch of four straight primetime games that everyone's excited about. Boo. Last time, last time, you know, Duke's going to be hosting College Game Day, of course. Last time they hosted a game between two ranked teams all the way back in 1994, almost 30 years since Duke has been in this position. So I think there's going to be kind of a lot of, you know, you talk about spotlight and pressure and stuff. I think there's going to be a lot on Duke in this game, a heck of a lot more on Duke hosting this game than if it was here at Notre Dame, for example. So like, I think that's actually advantage Notre Dame and, College football writer Andy Staples from On3. He used to uh, write for the Athletic. He's at On3 now. He spent some time in town here at Notre Dame. He was at the game Saturday. He stuck around at least through Monday. I know he was at the Marcus Freeman's press conference and got some one-on-one time with both Marcus Freeman and Audric Estime. But Staples said this week, this is not the week they want to be playing Notre Dame, referring to Duke. They are bounced back and they're pissed referring to Notre Dame Notre Dame has bounced back and pissed and uh you know so there was some concern I think prior to the Ohio State game from the Notre Dame perspective that maybe the Irish could overlook Duke to some extent do you think that uh, the result of last week changes all that
2: I think that it's not a trap game anymore uh to be honest with you (laughs) uh You know, you and I sparred back and forth about what a trap game is and all of those different things, and that that was fun. But, you know, this would be considered one of those because they do have an opportunity to lose this game. It's on the road. This is a ranked team. You know, all of those different things. There's hype around it, blah, blah, blah. It's, It's a trap game, right? The difference for me is this team has clearly adopted the attitude of Marcus Freeman because I guarantee you there's nobody more pissed off in that in the Goog than Marcus Freeman. And therefore now his team is pissed off and is going to take Duke to the friggin' woodshed, man. Like that's what's about to happen. I completely agree with this comment. And if he's been kind of like in the Goog and around the guys, I'm sure he's got a better sense of, of what it's like uh, in there and, and around them. That's what I anticipated, to be perfectly honest with you. What he said is what I thought was going to happen. And so I... Love it like this. That tells me <laughs> this team is where I want them to be.
3: Yeah. So Vince hit on a lot of good points there. Um, I do think that the the loss to Ohio State changes a lot of things for this week because um, you know this the, before the season even started, the whole talk was this is a trap game, this is a trap game, this is a trap game. That um, I don't know if you guys saw it, Duke football. I think uh, a couple of days ago, it might have been Thursday or maybe Friday morning. I saw it um they had a they tweeted out a picture of like um uh it was like an anime picture of a leprechaun and it was a, a trap being held over it and it's like so you guys admitting that this is a trap game and you guys are the <laughs> inferior in, uh, opponent to notre dame That's i thought that was just right. kind of funny right and so i thought it was like in no way is this a trap game anymore. yeah this I game agree. is completely shifted out of trap game realm i guess is what i was getting to um and and, and it's I think that it's a credit to the head coach if that someone completely outside of the program can be hanging out, you know, being around campus and can can, can sense that um, because that means you've gotten your players to move on and you've gotten them to refocus on wanting to get rid of that, that distasteful, you know, the lingering taste in their mouth by going out and handling business how they're supposed to and making an even louder statement this week, because I think it says more about the character of your team on how you respond or how you get up from the mat after getting knocked down. Yeah, it's a, exactly. bold,
2: stra- it's a bold strategy, Cotton, for them <laughs> to uh, keep calling this a trap game. we'll, we'll see yeah, how yeah, it yeah. plays out. <laughs> like, I, I I'm, I'm
3: holding back some predictions right now, but it is. I I, I just yeah. Maybe
1: uh, Ken Ken Jeong, the uh, the guest picker, will will go out on Pat McAfee's show. Guest
2: picker, that's he is. <laughs>
1: Okay. Maybe he'll be on the Pat McAfee show on Friday and he'll say he'll something send a to shot at Freeman. Marcus Freeman. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for your rapid fire question concerning that particular topic, by the way. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, it's just, if they beat Ohio state, it's the biggest regular season win, you know, since you know whatever, which game you want to compare it to. We talked about it. Last week, and people don't listen closely enough to to understand analogies and stuff like that. Sometimes I'm looking at you, Bucknuts fans, but I, I just feel like if they win that game, they're probably floating on the clouds a little bit, and, sure. and maybe it takes them takes a while to get them kind of grounded into this week and and get them refocused. Just like the week before against Central Michigan, maybe their focus for a while wasn't in the right place. So. I think that they're definitely going to be locked in and focused and as Andy Staple said, pissed off. And this is not the week. I don't think that you want to be playing Notre Dame. I completely agree. With what he said. I,
2: it it was trap. It's not a trap. It's a, this is going, this is going to be a a bloodbath. It's what it's going to be. I'm sorry. I know Duke has done some really good things this season and we're going to get into our predictions a little bit later. It's just not but...
3: nearly as dynamic. It's yeah.
2: just, if, if Notre Dame's firing on all cylinders, which I anticipate them doing, it this is going to be over before it starts.
1: Yep. So Duke, you got former Notre Dame defensive coordinator Mike Elko, second year as head coach. They're built on defense. They've got the number 47 pass efficiency defense in the nation, number two red zone defense in the nation, number 16 total defense. They allow 276 yards a game. Forced eight turnovers, which is tied for number 20. Uh, Turnover margin, they are tied for ninth at plus five. They were plus 16 last year. Uh, But they also have the number 68 run defense, allowing 133 yards per game going in. It's interesting. They've won the turnover battle in 12 of the 17 games with Mike Elko as head coach, and they are 10 and two in those games. So importance of taking care of the ball kind of takes on I think another level this week, especially like when you look at the Clemson game specifically, but I, I think really when you look at, again, the way Duke is operated, their offense, as Jesse alluded to, and we're going to talk to you specifically here in a minute, not the most dynamic outside of the quarterback, Riley Leonard, but the defense generally puts them in very good field position with the turnovers they're able to create. They, they do a lot, you know, like, again, looking at the Clemson game, A lot of what Clemson did was self-inflicted, but Duke took advantage of it, and that's how they were able to win that game by three touchdowns.
3: Yeah, so in terms of Duke's defense, I think the number one thing to focus on is is how assignment sound they are and how um, they they do things to get an advantage before the ball is even snapped. I think they are very good at looking at your alignments, looking at splits, and kind of getting – you know, maybe I would say maybe like a little cheat here and there of, you know, like I remember and I I, I just this I thought my college coach was crazy at the time, but like he'd be Mm -hmm. like, I want you guys to focus on the split of this wide receiver in this formation, because if they do this, then it's the the likelihood of them running this play is X amount of percent. And that's the kind of stuff that I think Duke gets into and that they're very good at is is like I said, knowing your alignments, knowing what, you know, what personnel you're in and what you're trying to accomplish. And so they're kind of not a step ahead of you, but they kind of are in some instance. And that makes up for maybe their lack of athleticism or speed more so on the backhand, because if you know where you're going, where you need to be, it's almost better than being the fastest guy on the field, because if you can't read and you can't, you know, look at things pre-snap, then there's no real reason to being fast. I think that's the main thing with Jalen Snead right now, if we're being hundred percent honest with everyone. It's the first thing that I was thinking of when you started talking
1: about that, quite honestly.
3: And so that is what Duke is going to do defensively is they, they know what they need to be in the position on the position in the field. And so they might get there a little bit earlier. And I think that helps them um, in terms of turnovers. But in this game specifically, it's not going to matter because Notre Dame is going to be on them and they're going to be on them fast. And I think they're going to be able to run the ball uh, uh, very effectively. And they're just going to punish uh, Duke with their run game. And I don't think Duke's going to have any sort of response because I think they're undersized and they're under – Um, they don't have enough speed in terms of their box players, um, defensively. So, um, and then on the other hand, you know, offensively, um, Riley Leonard is like 75% of their offense. You know, if you shut down Riley Leonard, that's, that's, that's to me, that's it. It, Riley Leonard is a drop, catch the, catch the ball. He's a one, two step drop quarterback. And if his read isn't there, he's going to, he's going to tuck it down and he's going to run. And so if you press those wide receivers off the line of scrimmage, you make him make a decision. Now it's going to be a long game for Riley Leonard.
2: Wow, you are all over there. Uh, I, I, I like, thought we were talking defense. Now we're talking offense. I don't know what's know. happening. There's a lot going it's on It's the here.
3: opponent preview. We were talking about the, you know, the entire opponent. Take, a, take a, a breath
1: every now and then. I mean, serious. No kidding. Let some of us
2: talk here. No, just kidding. Um, no, you make a lot of good points there, obviously. And it's funny to me that, you know, yes, the defense is very, very good. Right? They're, they're, they're a good defense. They gave Clemson everything they could handle. They're the number 47 pass efficiency defense. Okay, that's cool. Um, But you know who has the number five pass efficiency offense (laughs) in the country? Notre Dame. And that hasn't been the case for a really long time, okay? So I don't really care what their pass efficiency defense is. Notre Dame's going to do really whatever they want, and I'll piggyback off of what Jesse said. They're going to have a tough time stopping Notre Dame's run game. Because... they're, you know, their bottom half. Well, yeah, their bottom half. Clemson's bottom the best half. team
1: they've played. Now, now granted, you know, Notre, Notre Dame has at least played moderately. You know, obviously Ohio State is better than any team. Correct. Duke has played. Correct. And NC State is, at least in the conversation, with just as good as Clemson right now, just the way the two teams have played. So Correct. Far. So Notre Dame, Notre Dame has played better competition overall like you know like when you look at those stat comparisons
2: and those kinds absolutely and look Duke is bottom half in run defense they're 47 in pass efficiency therefore Notre Dame's offense is going to do whatever they want to Duke's defense agree on that one and Clemson has the number 54 pass efficiency offense okay so that's the best offense passing wise that uh that Duke has faced so far it's a big that's a 50 slot difference between yeah. Clemson and Notre Dame like this is a whole other planet of offense that they're gonna have to face and they look they made Clemson look pedestrian there's no doubt about it but it's because they are so I you know yeah I I, I have a lot of respect for for Mike Elko I have a lot of respect for his defense but this is apples to oranges man Notre Dame's gonna I do just so. fine
1: and that, when you look at Riley Leonard, as Jesse said, he's, he's, you know, kind of one read two read. If it's not there, it's tuck it and run quite often. And, and, you know, he had a big game against Clemson. He also only completed 51% of his passes against Clemson. He's 67% for the season, but it's after. also not a downfield offense. They right. they only average 11.9 yards per catch. So right. it's in, in the, you know, it's like when you passes. compare when you compare who Notre Dame's secondary went up against last week, compared to who they're gonna see this week, again, like the gap, the gap is wide. It's it's Grand Canyon wide.
3: The gap, the gap I would rest. make those Duke wide receivers prove they can get off the line of scrimmage. Like yeah. that's that's just where I I'm agree. at because when they throw quick plays and they're only 10 yards down the field, well, jam them off and don't let them get down, you know, don't let them get off the line of scrimmage. And so I think you'll see a lot of that. Yeah. Use your
2: corners to your advantage, man. Like, I think after last week, Notre Dame has proved, arguably, they've got the best corner tandem in the country. Yep. Use those guys to your advantage, man. Like, beat the crap out of these receivers on the line. Exactly. I completely I completely agree with that. Put them on an island. Put those guys on an island. They'll be fine. They've got their shovel They'll and their, their, their castle building materials. Like, put them on I'd an running, island.
3: I'd be running cover one man the whole time. Yes. One safety and that's it. 100%
2: all night long, and I would just be coming after Riley Leonard and making him
3: wish he didn't suit up. Yep. Make him make a decision and collapse that pocket immediately. Yep.